Hello and welcome to the Daily Post podcast. My name is Yuri Mello. I will be your host as I guide you through the most valuable and relevant emotional and psychological ideas. Ideas that will transform your perspective and enhance your personal life and relationships. Let's do this. This is episode number six. Joy is the ultimate discipline. Hello, and thank you for being here. Man, it is wise of you to be here. I hope you realize that. I hope you recognize that that has to be one of the essential purposes of this life. It is to be wise. It is to learn. It is to grow and ultimately to utilize that knowledge and to be wise. And here you are, engaging and investing. In fact, and doing that is a a very important part about being happy and attaining this highest of disciplines, which is happiness. And today we're going to talk about it. And I just love to be happy as I'm sure you do as well. And as I was preparing for this podcast, I searched my mind for the happy moments in my life. And when I do, when I search my mind for those happy moments, I feel a kind of lightness come over me. I feel a smile begin to form over my face. As I remember those moments, I can imagine smiles and sunlight I see my wife, my children, my friends. I see crazy and outrageous things that I was a part of. I see success, accomplishment. I see hardship transformed into happiness. I feel peace. Try it. Take a moment and just search inside for happy moments in your lives. Close your eyes if you can, unless you're driving, of course, but... Even with your eyes open, allow these moments to come into your mind and notice what you remember. Notice places, people, things, and events. What do you see? Do you see any common denominators throughout those memories? To focus your mind on moments like these, on moments of happiness, can be a wonderful meditation, which, by the way, we will be talking about next week. I'm so thrilled for you. And it can also be a lovely prayer of thankfulness. It's wonderful to experience the ease, lightness, and motivation that flow when feelings of happiness are present. Some people would say that the reason why it feels easy and light is because They would suggest that happiness, that joy, is our natural state. And then, of course, that we muddle it up with incorrect philosophies and ideas and and trauma, sometimes things that are out of our control. But that's an important concept, that perhaps happiness is what is natural to us. We're worthy of experiencing happiness, loads of happiness, massive amounts of happiness. It's no wonder because of these high benefits of happiness that people have written about it for millennia, right? How to find it, where to find it, and what it's all about. 
over my 16 years of experience as a therapist, I mean, that's thousands and thousands of individuals that I've studied their lives in depth. I've studied couples, individuals, children, and adolescents. I've listened to men and women from every walk of life. And after much consideration and soul searching, I found that these principles, the ones that I will share with you today, when these internal philosophies and ideologies are present within individuals, these individuals express feeling and experiencing the highest levels of happiness and joy. And I'm about to tell them to you. It's hard to speak of happiness. I think the topic has been written about and argued about so very much that in my mind, it's almost lost some of its meaning. It's been reduced to something that is superficial, right? And momentary. And that is not what I want to write about. I want to write about the kind of happiness that is abiding. I want to discuss a type of happiness that resembles a condition and a way of being and not just some passing circumstance. I want to talk about a happiness that surpasses understanding and circumstance. Martin Seligman, he's a researcher, kind of an old school psychologist, and an author, he authored a book called Flourish, and he found the same problem with the word happiness. And he instead, instead of calling it happiness, he utilized the term well-being. And he felt like that more closely resembled the condition that happiness, and that had some permanence to it. In that book, he talks about and he offers the reader five ways to increase and create this state of well-being, an in-depth state of well-being. It's worthy to note, by the way, that Dr. Seligman had researched people from almost every country and that those individuals who reported experienced the highest levels of well-being had these five things in common. I'm going to share those here with you. And then in addition to that, I'm going to share with you that over my 16 years, I have found five additional things that I will share with you as well that I believe will bring you a sense of enjoyment and meaning, deep meaning in your life. So here it is, number one that Dr. Seligman suggests, and this one is, actually, this is actually one of my favorites, and it's a very interesting one, but he says that people who experience the highest levels of well-being experience positive feelings. Okay, I know you're thinking, okay, Yuri, like, come on now, but listen to me for a moment, because there's a little bit of an interesting twist to this. He found that Individuals who experienced the highest levels of well-being experienced positive feelings regularly throughout their day. Think of it like a ratio, right? Five moments of pleasure, contentment, joy, delight, glee, peace, excitement, satisfaction, laughter for every, for every negative moment of disappointment or struggle or hurt or misery or suffering. His simple discovery is that individuals who experience Rich feelings of well-being are engaged in many situations that create positive feelings for them. Their interaction with themselves and the world around is a positive one. Their ratio, right, 5 to 1, 10 to 1, or 20 to 1 are favorable. That means that they're spending 5, 10, or 20 positive events for every negative one. His solution Find things that create positive feelings inside of you. Whether that's walking, whether that's 
taking a nap, whether that's reading a book, whether that's spending time with friends, exercising, enjoying your hobby, learning something new, doing something exciting. Add those things. Garnish your life with those things. And make a plan to do it. I know that sometimes, I think it's in part because, in fact, I, I, sorry, I'm reminded of this statement that says, you are about as happy as you believe you are worthy of being happy. And I think sometimes there are people out there that when they're happy, they feel guilty. They feel like, oh man, if I'm happy, that means it's going to get worse. That means the, you know, the sky is going to drop on me the, or the shoe is going to drop, Right. And I just don't buy that. Or even that that idea that, right, that happiness is really, truly what is easy for us. But we've confused that. And this is one of those ways. Make a plan. Make a list of 100, 50, 20, 1,000 things that bring enjoyment to your life. Okay, number two, Dr. Sullivan talked about engage, engagement. Dr. Seligman found that people who experience high levels of well-being in their life are engaged in something that they perceive as meaningful. They're engaged in a way that captivates them and captures their attention. As an avid rock climber, I know exactly what he's talking about. When I climb, my full attention and consciousness is engaged in climbing. When I write, I am fully engaged. When I run, when I do therapy, when I'm with my children, when I'm on a date with my lovely wife, I am engaged fully, and that brings me joy. His solution is become involved in things that engage and capture you. These things have to be meaningful and purposeful, and cannot be toxic, of course. Number three, positive relationships. Something else that he found is that people who reported high levels of well-being had positive relationships. They had friends and family around them that were positive, inspiring, and promoted trust. They were involved in groups and clubs and communities that were progressive and focused on growth, service, and well-being. They had a support system that helped them to feel accepted and needed. His solution, focus on your relationships. Nurture them and work consciously to better them. Join communities, whether they be churches, civic groups, etc., that are positive and growth-oriented. Number four, meaningful. Dr. Seligman found found that individuals experiencing superior levels of well-being were engaged in things they perceived were meaningful to them and others around them. Once again, be your own judge here. Please judge wisely. Not all things that you are doing that you think are meaningful truly are. On a poor, good, better, best continuum, be conscious enough to choose to engage meaningfully in those things that are in the better or best levels when possible. His solution, find things that are meaningful in your life and throw yourself into them. Increase your level of interaction with people, things, and places that are packed with meaning for you. Number five, his last one, is achievement. Finally, Dr. Seligman concluded that people with high levels of well-being experienced feelings of achievement. I find this synonymous with accomplishing or finishing something, although it can also be more abstract and take the shape of feeling fulfilled and moments of realization. Whether you can find achievement by completing a day's work or retire to your bed feeling accomplished or 
run a race or complete a journal entry, start a business, complete an act of service, mow your lawn or help someone. Feeling achievement is something you can consciously and deliberately do. His solution finds small, large, and mid-sized ways to create experiences where you can feel a sense of achievement. It's easy to see how this easily intersects with meaningful and engaged concepts, right? You can kill three birds with one stone if you play your cards right in this one. Look, I shared this with you because I find that people benefit from having something that not only helps them to measure where they are, but it also points them toward where they can go. It's important to note that happiness and joy aren't places we arrive at. They are points. They're not they're not points on a continuum. They are the continuum. There are levels of happiness, anything from amusement to contentment, all the way to joy and bliss. It matters that you understand that as we invest, not only in the principles stated above, but in the ones that I'm about to share with you, that you can become a player in your own life, impacting where you are in that spectrum and whether you are moving toward higher levels of joy. As you know, I am not a must-be-happy kind of person. Happiness is certainly not the only other emotion in this world that has meaning and significance. My willingness, and yours, by the way, to accept other emotions, including the difficult ones, and to accept the fact that you may not be happy, actually makes you more likely to experience a natural and organic happiness. It's interesting, isn't it? But my acceptance of difficult emotion actually makes it more likely that I will experience emotion, I mean, happiness. I think people who obsess about being happy and are constantly checking to see if they are happy may be missing the mark. And as a result of their constant and obsessive measuring, they miss the very thing they're seeking for. Happiness, joy, and peace ensue in one's life, not because we're seeking for it, but because we're living after the manner of happiness. It is a natural product of personal and spiritual congruence and our continuous effort to purge our internal corruption and self-deception. Happiness and joy joy can be invested in, and yet it is almost an indirect investment. You will find that as you possess the correct philosophies about you as an individual and others in the world and about life itself, and then engage yourself in them, that an abiding happiness, joy, and peace will be the natural outcome. Now, for the five other ways to live after the manner of happiness. Number one is creativity and expansion. Look, these terms are not necessarily synonymous, but in my mind, they are too closely related to separate in this specific discussion. If you're interested in investing toward higher levels of purpose and joy, create movement in your life. I've talked about this in some of my previous podcasts. By engaging your creativity and always expanding, one of the most common conditions that people who report high levels of unhappiness, they complain about feeling stuck and stale in their lives. We must expand in part because that is who we are, my friend. That is what we are meant to be. Arouse your faculties and engage in creative pursuits. There are many ways in which you can be creative in this life, too many to list. I'll mention a few just to get your brain kick-started. 
but you can begin a business. You can write a book. You can write poetry. You can begin a blog. You can learn how to play an instrument. You can write in your journal. You can practice meditation. You can learn how to write or learn, or you can learn how to learn, you can learn how to do yoga or tai chi or create a meal. Learn how to paint or draw or sew or make pottery. Sign up and run a race. Learn how to do photography. Investing in your own personal creativity is important because it connects you with beauty either because you are creating it or simply by being exposed to it. Also, it provides endless opportunities for you to connect to meaning and achievement. Creativity and expansion are things we must deliberately and consciously engage in. In the road less traveled, and I've shared this quote with you before, Scott Peck states again and again, I have emphasized that the process of spiritual growth is an effortful and difficult one. This is because it is conducted against a natural resistance, against a natural inclination to keep things the way they were, to cling to the old maps and old ways of doing things, to take the easy path. My hope is that as you begin to engage in creative and expansive endeavors, that you will improve the quality of your everyday moments as well as others around you. Number two, exercise thankfulness. Much has been said about this, this whole idea of being grateful. I'm sure you've probably heard it from your mom or your dad when you were growing up. But exercising thankfulness is perfectly logical. That as your psychology becomes increasingly aware of the rich beauty within us, beyond us, that a natural feeling of contentment and happiness will follow us throughout our lives. I'm excited for the next episode when we talk about mindfulness because we will talk a lot about this. Exercising thankfulness is a practice in shifting our focus away from the mundane to the divine that resides in all things. The concept of exercising this natural ability is important, especially now, because of the velocity with which we live our lives. I have found that it is increasingly difficult to be thankful while I'm rushing about in life. The majority of the people I see in my office are constantly afflicted by the increased pace in which our our society is moving these days. If we and you don't make time to slow down, it is likely that we will miss the simple gifts that life provides in everyday moments. I often play this simple game when I'm doing therapy or on a run or on a drive or even on a climb with a client or even when I'm walking just from my car to my office, which is only about 150 feet. I'll ask myself, what am I missing right now? Or what am I not noticing right now that is beautiful or that I can be thankful for? This simple practice of praying and expressing gratitude verbally once, twice, or however many times a day may account for why religious individuals report higher levels of happiness than those who are not, simply because they're focused on it, like during a prayer, express and express it verbally. The practice of meditation is similar in nature and can also involve turning of the mind to focus on the attitude of being and living in in a thankful way. Try this. Begin the simple daily practice of writing on your phone or on a journal three things you're grateful for and why. 
you'll find that as you begin to search for how to be thankful in every moment, that your life and emotional state will experience a revolution of well-being and contentment. Okay, number three, promote goodwill. Look, you've become increasingly aware of the fact that we're constantly promoting and inviting and encouraging something in your life. Go back to one of the podcasts, right? In 16 years of listening to the most private details, thoughts, and desires of people from every walk of life, it is perfectly clear that individuals who experience high levels of well-being, happiness, and peace promote goodwill in their personal and interpersonal relationships. These individuals have realized the simple truth that the more abundantly we give, the more we receive. As we promote benevolence, compassion, goodness, kindness, consideration for others, and charity, we are so much more likely to receive that from others. This isn't just a nice idea for you to do when you feel like it or when people are nice to you. It's something that I want you to fully believe and do independently of others and their responses or opinions. You can do this as a father or as a mother to your children by greeting them in the morning with a kiss and a smile. You can do it as a spouse by greeting one another with a kiss the moment you see each other, by finding one another, and by offering to help in any, other, in any way that you can. You can do it when you drive by, smiling at other drivers. Okay, don't do creepy smiles, right? Allowing other drivers to pass first and forgiving others for their bad driving habits. You can do this at the store by smiling at people when you pass them by, by saying hello, by letting someone who has less groceries pass you in line, or even by paying for their groceries. You can do it at work, at church, at home, anywhere. You will find that as you begin to give, you begin to give in a selfless way, that goodness will return to you. More importantly, you will feel better yourself because you'll be acting in a way that is congruent with the divine that is in you. The Christian paradox of finding yourself when you lose yourself correctly identifies the wonderful treasure that is discovered when we lose ourselves in the service and care of others. Spinoza, the eloquent philosopher, stated, peace is not an absence of war. It is a virtue, a state of mind, a disposition for benevolence, confidence, and justice. Look, don't worry about feeling or not feeling like you want to promote goodwill. It's not a matter of feeling, my friend. It's a matter of mindfully educating our desires and the creature to act in a divine way. Number four, I love this principle. I hope you love it too. You need to know this. You need to know that all things can be consecrated for your good. You need to know that there are few abilities that are more magnificent among men than the ability to take pain, injustice, and suffering and to synthesize it for our well-being. This divine and mindful practice of making things holy for us is our greatest genius. We are meaning-making souls. We're meaning-making machines. Either the brain assigns a meaning or we deliberately and mindfully decide what it is that our life and the events in it will mean. This marvelous doctrine provides a wonderful peace that surpasses all understanding. It is the ability to be in the world but not of it. It is to overcome the world and its physical circumstances simply because we're connected to this powerful truth and can provide the meaning behind any event. 
It is to fully experience the present, in part because we're able to suck out the richness that is inherent in every moment. Henry David Thoreau, the American philosopher, inspiringly wrote when he went out into the woods and wrote the book Walden, he said, I wished to live deliberately. This is by far my favorite quote. I hope you've heard of it, but if you haven't, I hope you enjoy it. I wish to live deliberately, to front only the essential facts of life and see if I could not learn what it had to teach, and not when I came to die, discover that I had not lived. I did not wish to live what was not life. Living is so dear, nor did I wish to practice resignation, unless it was quite necessary. I wanted to live deep and suck out all the marrow of life, to live so sturdily and Spartan-like as to put to rout all that was not life. Oh man, this ray of hope and faith can penetrate any dark moment, right? With the confidence that not only relief, but redemption, progress, wisdom, and joy awaits us. In the movie Shadowlands, this spiritual triumph is stated in these words, the pain then is part of the happiness now. That's the deal. Think about that for a moment. The pain then is part of the happiness now. Knowing this doesn't protect us from pain, suffering, or grief, but it provides us with the hope to continue living through these very difficult moments, knowing that they too will pass, and in some magical way, they will become part of the happiness, depth, and purpose of our lives. Five, practice mindfulness. This is perfect timing because our next episode will be about this. Please stick around for that one. Practice mindfulness. The overarching purpose of this book is to awaken us, to this podcast is to awaken us from the robotic, unconscious, and pattern-laden brain full existence to a fullness of life that can be achieved as we awaken and begin to live purposefully and mindfully. In The Way of the Peaceful Warrior, one of my favorite books, Dan Millman teaches us that there are no ordinary moments. While C.S. Lewis enlightens our mind by helping us realize with whom we share this journey here in life, he says, it is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, to remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet. If at all, only in a nightmare, all day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with the awe and the circumspection circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, art, civilization, these are mortal and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. I love that quote. As our eyes begin to open and we become aware of how rich and full of meaning our existence is, then we naturally realize the importance of being fully conscious and awake during our interactions with what is within us and without us. 
To be mindful is to observe and respond with purpose. To be brainful is to be caught up and react with instinct. Fully comprehending the weight of accountability and responsibility that we carry as we either invite and promote joy, peace, goodwill, or we provoke anger, bitterness, and misery. To be full of mind is to enter each moment with curiosity and the knowledge that we can influence that moment, even if just for a moment, for our own everlasting benefit or for the advantage of others also. When one is mindful and attentive, divine beauty in the grandest or simplest of things becomes manifest and we naturally develop a thankful heart and mind. Daily tasks can become moments of meditation as we find a natural rhythm to things and can become conscious of the many small miracles that have happened for you to wash your dishes or to drive a car or to speak or walk or run or even to care for a child. To be mindful is to meet life deliberately, cognizant of the past and conscious that we can sway the future as we move about carrying the full weight of glory that is inherent with us. To be mindful is to be honest with our highest self. It is to move toward kindness, love, and excellence while moving away from our fleshy self that is fearful, self-seeking, and always looking for easiness and sameness. As the flesh becomes subject to the spirit, little by little, moment by moment, our lives begin to emanate a wonderful peace and confidence that comes when we accept the things we cannot change while using our courage to change the things that are within our grasp. I hope that as you continue to engage in Daily Pulse and these podcasts, and as you seek to internalize the collection of these philosophies, you will find a greater ability within yourself to direct your life and experience an increase of joy as you live after the manner of happiness. Remember, our goal is in 365 days for you to think better, feel better, and be better. Thanks for joining us for this episode and learn how to have joy be the ultimate discipline in your life. Bye-bye.